I really love uh, hearing the voices of the people praying. It is a joy. Would you turn into your Bibles in 1 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 12? And if you don't have one today, you didn't bring one, we have a couple spares. I think, well, there's one left back there, but please feel free to grab one and use it today. And if you don't own one, keep it. It's okay. We, it's our gift to you, but it's super important that you have a physical Bible with you. Uh, phones are okay too, but uh, you are going to miss some things that we talk about. We do dig into each verse and sometimes even the words, right, um, of what uh, Scripture is giving us. It is a rich treasure, and we are going through a very, very important topic that we began last week, and it is the topic of spiritual gifts. And in Corinth, there was a, a massive a disconnect and a misunderstanding um, in the area of spiritual gifts. If you recall, due to their carnality, uh, the way that they lived, they were fleshly, they were worldly, they, they had managed to cause divisions in the church and create disorders and various difficulties in the church uh, in just about every area that you could imagine. And, and Paul is, is dealing with their, their abuse of spiritual gifts, and he's very upset about it. He's very concerned, uh, as he should be, because it's a vital to the maturity of the church, uh, that gifts be used, number one, but also that they be used properly. And last week, just by recap, we looked at three points, and I just want to hit these really quickly because we just covered the first uh, three verses of chapter 12. But we looked at the importance of spiritual gifts. If you look at verse one, Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant. And that's my heart today as well. I don't want anyone here to be ignorant of what scripture says about spiritual gifts. They're just too important. And that was Paul's heart there. I said, I don't want you to be ignorant because, because not do you only need to know how to use that, but you also need to know of the dangers that spiritual counterfeits do exist. And we looked at that last week. Uh, we looked at 2 Corinthians 11 where he talks about false apostles, right? False apostles, deceitful workers. They're, com they're coming into the church that even Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. They come into the church and they bring in these counterfeits and the church needs discernment. And so he says it's too important that, that you understand spiritual gifts. And our second point was really highlighting the danger of those spiritual counterfeits. He says in verse 2 that at one time they were carried away to dumb idols. You remember that? Meaning they were, they were at one time, they were spiritually darkened. They were unable to discern that an idol was a counterfeit God. That's what an idol is, right? It's, it's not a God, nor is it God. It's a piece of wood, stone, or metal, right? But these spiritual counterfeits, even today, lead millions and millions of people astray. And so they, at one time, were like that. But he says, now you're no longer Gentiles, meaning you're no longer uh, um, blind. You're no longer these non-believers. They had been enlightened. They had received the Holy Spirit. The, the, the blinders have been taken off, right? And so they should be able to discern spiritual counterfeits, uh, but they were not exercising that discernment. And that led us to point three, and that was the test of spiritual gifts. And if you weren't here last week, I just want you to at least get this, that Paul gave the Corinthians two tests. They still work today. By the way, any test you get in scripture isn't only good for then, it works today. Two tests to verify whether or not someone was truly speaking by the Holy Spirit or whether they were not. And the first test is a negative test. He says this in, no, in verse 3, no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. Now, some of you might be sitting here going, well, duh, it's a no-brainer. That's an obvious one today, right? Shouldn't it be? Well, 
Yeah, it should be, but it wasn't to the Corinthians, right? And it's obviously, it's not, it's not directly obvious to everyone today even. They think that they can believe, people think they can believe whatever they want about Jesus and that they're okay with God. Let me tell you, you cannot believe just whatever you want to believe about Jesus and be okay with God, right? If you love the Father, you love Christ, you love Christ, you love the Father, it's all this, it's connected, right? So you can't just make up what you want. And there were some coming into the church saying that Jesus was accursed, and we talked about that. It was probably the beginning of, of docetism entering the church, where Jesus was only a spiritual being, but not a physical being. And we talked about that last week, and I can't go into it today. But they held a negative view of Jesus, and, and, and they could not be saying things like Jesus is cursed and have the Holy Spirit in them. He said, that's, that's a test. It's, it should be an obvious clue to you. The other test was a positive test. He says, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And what Paul meant by that is, is this, that there needs to be a sincere uh, confession of lordship. Because even Jesus said, not, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of God. Because talk is cheap, right? You can say whatever you want. But a sincere confession will be based on true faith, which obedience is the example. It's obedience to God's word. That's the true mark. So that's what we covered last, last week. And I gave a little bit of background by going back to the Gospel of John to review the scriptures that, where Jesus promised the coming of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember that? Um, and he called him the helper. He called him the, the, the promise of the Father. And we saw the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's recorded in Acts chapter 2. And his coming was accompanied with gifts. And in that example, it, they, specifically the gift of tongues or the gift of languages, was what, what, uh, that, uh, that's the gift that came with the Holy Spirit. Now, before we jump into this, I feel I should give a little bit more background as to what else the Holy Spirit does. Because the Corinthians were only focused on one aspect, and that was the gifts. Gifts, gifts, gifts. It's all about gifts. But you know the Holy Spirit does a lot more than gifts. He's not a spiritual Santa Claus that comes along and starts handing out spiritual gifts, right? You don't make your list and go, oh, I can't wait to see what the Holy Spirit gives me. It's, he does a lot more. And um, I guess to start this, I would just say we need to look at the two main categories that exist uh, of people that exist on this planet. And if you just to sort of broke down on a very basic level, the two categories that everybody falls in, you could break it down to the way that Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, there are those that are perishing, and those that are being saved. I didn't mean anything by pointing to the side of the room. People are like, wait, get to that side. Two sides of the hand. Okay, the hand. Those that are perishing, those that are being saved, right? Those that are unbelievers, those that are believers, unsaved, saved, or as a pastor used to say, the saints and the ain'ts, all right? That's the main division of humanity. It is just a fact. So what ministry does the Holy Spirit, if any, have amongst the ain'ts have amongst the lost. Well, we looked at last week, John chapter 16, verse 7. We were reading how Jesus told his disciples, it's to your advantage that I go away. Do you remember that? It's to your advantage because if I go away, the helper, he's going to come. But if I don't go away, he's not going to come to you. But in verse 8, we didn't read that far. Let me show you verse 8 today. John chapter 16, verse 8. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the lost, to the unsaved, which really should be a great relief to you because we're called to go and, and spread the good news, right, to share the gospel. But do you know this, that it's near, not your responsibility to convict? 
You just share the message, and the Holy Spirit's job is to convict. That should really take a whole load off you. There's no pressure for you to deliver, basically, right? Your, your, your goal, your, your whole mission is to share the truth of the gospel, share the word. The Holy Spirit does the convicting. And I think that's really great news. Now, when it comes to believers and, and the Holy Spirit's ministry to believers, it's much more complex. It's much more involved. And we covered this for those of you that watched Foundations of the Faith. We did it just a couple months ago. We looked at the role of the Holy Spirit in that class, and I gave you guys an acronym. You might remember it. RIBS, R-I-B-S, okay? RIBS. And you could just remember that word. It gives you sort of a great um, outline of what the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer from, from point of salvation on, okay? And letter R is regenerates, regenerates, okay? If you remember, Jesus met a Pharisee named Nicodemus, and he was trying to get this concept into this mind of the Pharisee, right? He says, you need, you need to be born again. You remember him saying that? And Nicodemus was confused. He said, well, how can I be born again? How can I enter into my mother's womb a second time? I don't understand this. He said, no, you don't, you're missing the point. And literally what Jesus means is he needs a, a, a new birth to be born from above. He needs regeneration. And regeneration comes by the Holy Spirit, and Jesus kind of tells an analogy about that. He's trying to teach a teacher about spiritual things, and the teacher didn't know these things. Titus 3, 5 says this, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. We're not saved by righteousness. You can't do anything righteous to be saved. He saved us. How? Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. There it is. The Holy Spirit comes and makes you a new you. You don't make you a new you. Have you tried to make you a new you? Right? Every New Year's, right? New Year's come right. Time for the new me. How long does that last? <laughs> right? Doesn't work. Holy Spirit makes you a new you. He regenerates you. He gives you new life. And, and there's a ton of scriptures. All those ones that you read about that speak of new creations. I always think of 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So, so the Holy Spirit does that work in us. He makes us something new when we were something old. That old thing has passed away. You don't have the old anymore. Also, 2 Corinthians 3.18 talks about not just the renewing, but also the ongoing renewing, because there is a regeneration that takes place. It's instantaneous, but it's, it's a continuing, right? Like when you regenerated, you, you, right, right now, you're not everything you need to be. Right? There's more work that needs to be done, that sanctification that continues on. 2 Corinthians 3.18 but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord is transforming you, and he's transforming me into the image of Christ. Sanctification. We're being made more and more like Christ. So that's the beginning work to the individual. R, regenerates. What's the I? Indwells. He indwells you. Yeah, some of you are guessing it. I got this. Indwells. That's it. You know, and Paul mentioned this twice, so we should have this twice in this chapter, chapter 3 and chapter 6. I'll just take you to the, the one in chapter 3, in 1 Corinthians 3, 16. He's trying to tell these Corinthians how this works. He says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Do you not understand this concept? God is in you, therefore you, your body, you are a temple. So he's trying to get them to stop using their bodies for other things. He's going to be talking about sexual morality in a minute in that context. So he's trying to set them up. Your body's a temple. 
Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 8, verse 9 as well. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, note it, he is not his. Right? That's true. Why? Because you have to be a new creature, like Jesus said. You need to be born from above. You need a new birth from the Holy Spirit. And so if you don't have the Holy Spirit regenerating and indwelling you, you don't belong to Christ. That's a very simple thing he's saying. So he's indwelling us after he's regenerated us. He lives in us. We're a temple. What about the B? This is where it gets fun. Baptism. He baptizes. He baptizes. Now, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, let me tell you. Some believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the gift of tongues as seen on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, when we saw the coming of the Holy Spirit, he came and the apostles began speaking in tongues, right? And so people will say, well, that was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So evidence that the Spirit has come is if you can speak in tongues. Uh, I'm just going to get this cat out of the bag now so we're done with it. And we're going to come back to tongues in in chapter 14 because Paul will live there for a while, all right? But Paul's going to go into depth about it. But here we go. If it is indeed a gift of the Holy Spirit, one thing that's clear from our passage, and you're going to see this in a second, is that different gifts are given to different people. All right? Just look at it. I'm just going to show you a bit. But look at verse 7. If you're still in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healings by the same spirit to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits to another different kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues but one and the same spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually as he wills it's very clear to me that the spirit gives different gifts to different people as he wants to right? But not that everybody is now going to speak in tongues because that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't, I don't see that here, right? And if not everyone had the gift of tongues, then does that mean that you, you've never been baptized by the Holy Spirit? I have had people tell me that. I have had churches say to me and other pastors that they were praying for our church, that we would someday receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I said, that's very kind. Could you stop praying that, please? Because I've already received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, We're going to talk about what that actually means in a moment, right? But Paul points out in this chapter that all believers have been baptized in the Spirit. If you're a believer today and you've been regenerated and he indwells in you, you have been baptized. How do we know? 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Look at it. For by one Spirit we were all baptized. There it is. All of us into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. We're all baptized, and not just those who have one particular gift. There it is. We'll knock that one out right now. Now, this baptism is what brings us into the body of Christ. That's what is meant here, right? That's where we enjoy fellowship corporately, which the Holy Spirit himself generates. That's the baptism that is spoken of of here. And you know what? It's talking about fellowship. Paul will close his second letter to the Corinthians with that idea. That fellowship is something that comes from the Holy Spirit. We used to get together with some of the pastors and a common sort of uh, ending phrase that we would use would, would be this verse. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. 
the communion of the Holy Spirit. Communion is that word, koinonia, fellowship. Okay? The Holy Spirit generates that as part of the body of Christ. When you're baptized, you're baptized, as Paul says in verse 13 there, into one body. That's this church body, but also the global church body, the invisible church, the church we can't see, right? The universal church. We're all baptized into that body. And he generates a wonderful fellowship. And you note that as a believer. You could travel halfway around the world and walk into a church, and guess what? You're with family. You know it. You feel it because of the fellowship that is generated by the Holy Spirit. You know what else he generates? Unity. We are called to keep the unity of spirit in the bond of peace, right? Keep the unity. It doesn't say, it doesn't say like create unity. It doesn't say generate unity. Keep the unity. Well, that's because the unity is already there. You have it in the Holy Spirit. He does that. It exists. We're just called to keep it. So that exists because it's, it's generated by the Holy Spirit because we have all been baptized into this family, into this body. Does that make sense? All right, letter S is seals. Okay, that's one more thing that he does for the individual. He seals us. Second Corinthians, this is super important. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21, 22. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has, and here it is, sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. I love this verse. You see, a seal was an ancient device that was used to seal goods. It was usually a, a signet ring or maybe some kind of a, a cylinder seal that was engraved with a person's name, like the owner's name or a particular uh, emblem of some kind. And they, they, would, they would seal whatever was this document was or whatever it was to demonstrate ownership, to attest for the authenticity of what was inside, you see. And so it indicated ownership. It indicates security. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. It guarantees our future blessings. You can have assurance of salvation as a believer today because of the Holy Spirit being the seal, the guarantee of that salvation, that God's promises of our inheritance in the future. Look at Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. I love, the, whole, the whole thing is here in that verse, right? When you heard, right, you believed, you trusted in the gospel salvation, you be, because you were believed, you were saved, and you were saved, you were sealed, and that sealing gives you a, 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 a assurance that that future inheritance will be given to you. We are saved, we're all currently saved, but we haven't received that saving yet, like physically, right? We want to be there. It's coming. It's a future possession. And that spirit is a guarantee that that will come to you. We sang about it last week at the closing song, although the lyrics got all funky up there, didn't it? Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. You can have assurance of salvation today because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Do you see how important the Holy Spirit is in the life of a believer? Super important. Let me give you a, a slide. I, I gave this slide to our, our Foundations of the Faith uh, folks. It's... um. It's, I call it the cross-the-line concept, all right? So everything to the left of that solid line is who you were before regeneration happened, all right? That's you and me. You were looking at death, right, under God's wrath, devoid of the Spirit, no Spirit, right? Cannot please God. All the verses that talk about our condition before we believed in the gospel of, 
of salvation, trusted in Christ for salvation and forgiveness of sins. Then the Holy Spirit comes, and there you have. We're regenerated. We're indwelt. We're baptized, and we're sealed. Ribs. You see it there? But with it come some other great things. Now you have life, right? Eternal life. Now you have peace with God. We're no longer at war with God. We have peace with him. And also, we're his children. We've been adopted by him. So you've got, you got some amazing things that come from the Holy Spirit. Now, I, draw, I drew a, a blue line at top, right? When you become saved, you cross that line. Now look at the blue line at the bottom. You never go back. Now, do you know why? Hopefully you can answer it. We just did it. Holy Spirit class 101, because you've been sealed. That's right. All right? So don't get into those debates and arguments about losing your salvation. Can't be done. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit, you've been sealed. It's a guarantee. Now listen, when you sin and you start getting in those sinful patterns of, in life, right? It doesn't break God's confidence that you're saved. It breaks yours. That's where it told, told him Peter to like stop living like that so you can you know, keep the assurance. You don't, lose, you don't lose salvation. You lose assurance. You start second-guessing salvation. Does that make sense? So we are, we are, we are regenerated. Ribs, there it is. So I just wanted to give you that uh, as, a, as a kind of a full picture of things that we have individually through the Holy Spirit before we kind of you know, dig in here a little bit more. Um, now, obviously, we're going to look at gifts now. He brings gifts, and gifts isn't even mentioned up there. Um, but while he brings uh, gifts, he brings a diversity of gifts. And they all come through the same Spirit, the same Lord, and the same God. And uh, that's the point of this passage we're looking at today. While there's diversity, there is oneness. So we're finally to our passage today. Wow, time is going. Let's, uh, let's read our passage. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're just looking at verses 4 to 7. I'm going to take a little bit more time because we had that delay with worship. Are you guys okay with that? All right, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 7. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word that you've given us today. I do pray, Lord, as we begin to, to study your word, Lord, that you would give us the, the Spirit today to reveal truth to us, Lord. You, you guide us into truth. It's, it's the Spirit's job to do that, to illuminate truth, Lord. We pray that you would do that for us today as we study this very important section of Scripture. God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we'll jump into this right away. Paul is breaking down the diversities of gifts and ministries and activities, but the idea that they all come from the common source and, uh, and for a common purpose. And so the first point is there's diversities of gifts. You see it in verse 4 very plainly, right? There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. Now, this word diversities, I need to show you because it's the word that's being used in the whole section, okay? It's dia iresis. Dia iresis. It means various kinds or a difference. Your, your, your translation might even say that there are varieties of gifts or different kinds. That is accurate, right? Because the same word is used in verse 5 and it's used in verse 6 here in our passage. And the diversity that Paul is speaking about in this verse He's speaking about different things in each verse, so we gotta, we got to stay track. So the diversity he's speaking about in this verse is gifts, okay? Gifts. There are diversities of gifts. This word gifts, I know I don't want to move too fast for you guys. You're trying to write that down, but is, is charisma, um, where we get the word charismatic from, obviously. Uh, charisma is the gift of grace. It's, it's a free gift, which makes sense because it comes from the root word charis, which is grace. Um, and uh, free gift means it's unmerited and undeserved. That's what grace is. You didn't earn it. God gave it to you even though you don't deserve it. 
That's the idea there. And this word charisma is used 17 times in the New Testament, 16 of those times by Paul and once by Peter, okay? And of the 16 times it's, it's used here, it's, it's, connecting, it's connecting the gifts to God as the giver, that God is the one that gives the gifts. And that is the, that's the idea because he's the one that gives unmerited favor, gifts of, of free grace. And, and certainly, Paul likes to talk about this in relation to salvation because what do we have, right, that, that was given to us that was undeserved? Salvation, right? Uh, you, you know Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So most of Romans, when you read Romans, Paul is using this word charisma that way in relation to salvation. But in every other use of the word by Paul and even the one by Peter, it refers to the enabling of believers to, to minister by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's Paul's point here. And since these gifts come to us by the Spirit, I think there are a few things we have to understand about them, namely what they are and what they are not. And I kind of have to go through these kind of quick here, but I'll just go through. Spiritual gifts are not singular, meaning in Corinth, there was a lot of confusion, right? And it was centered around the gift of tongues. It was all about the gift of tongues as we're going to see as we go through this. And, and like many churches today, their view was that the sole manifestation of the Spirit was through the use of tongues, right? If you have the gift of tongues, then that's, that's the manifestation of the Spirit. Gifts are not singular. They're plural. Uh, there's the diversities of gifts. That's how Paul starts this, right? There are many gifts, but only one gift was predominantly magnified there in, in Corinth. So he's in, intentionally here uh, emphasizing plurality, variety, diversities. One writer just took Paul's opening words here and sort of amplified it, amplified it into like thinking today. He said it this way, you Corinthians tend to think of the spirit as revealing himself only in one way, that of tongue speaking. You need to learn that the Holy Spirit manifests himself not only in, in rational praise to Jesus, calling him Lord, not accursed, right? But through various gifts, there are diversities of gifts. And that's what Paul is saying. In fact, that's why he gives us a list of gifts. We just read them in verses 7 through 11. There's a list of gifts there. There's a list of, of gifts given in, in Romans 12 as well to just show us that they're not singular. There's a variety. There's a diversity of them. So that's what they're not. They're not singular. Here's what else they are not. Spiritual gifts are not talents, okay? Talents, skills, and abilities those, those are still given to you by God. You have those, but those are shared by believer and unbeliever alike, aren't they? That's the difference. But listen, no unbeliever has a spiritual gift. Why? <laughs> it comes through the Spirit, right? That should be obvious to us uh, now. So they, they can't be uh, talents themselves. We use spiritual gifts uh, because they come through the Spirit. And, uh, Peter says this in 1 Peter 4, 11, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers... Let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. So you may be given a, a natural talent or a skill or an ability uh, by, by God, but the use of it, that's going to be natural, right? You'll be just depending on natural ability. But the spiritual depends on spiritual power. That's why Peter says that, right? As if the oracle is coming from God himself. So spiritual gifts, they're not singular. They're also not talents. They're also not offices. If you kind of look ahead to verse 28 of this chapter, Paul starts listing off offices in the church. God has appointed these in the church. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. You see those in verse 28? Those are offices. They're not to be confused with the gift. However, understand this, a person, a person that is in the office of a church, um, in a church as a teacher, 
should have the corresponding gift of teaching. Does that make sense, right? You shouldn't hold the office of teacher and not have the gift of teaching. That would be a bad thing. But you couldn't have the other route, right? You could have the gift of teaching, but maybe you don't have, you don't hold an office as, as, as teacher in a church. Does that make sense? It's not the office is what I'm trying to say. The gift is, is different. One other thing it's not, spiritual gifts are also not fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is listed in, in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, right? The fruit of the Spirit is listed there. Um, quite a difference. Gifts, plural, right? All these varieties, and they're not all possessed by all, all, all believers. We're going to have different gifts. Different gifts exist in this room by different people. But the fruit is singular. It's not fruits. It's fruit. Fruits of the Spirit. It's singular. And guess what? All of the fruit should be in every believer. You should have some element of love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and faith. You should have some elements of all the fruit in you as a believer. It's the fruit that comes from the Spirit. So they're different. Gifts have to do with service. It's what a person has. Fruit has to do with character. It's what a person is, right? And gifts is given if from without. It comes from the Spirit, but a fruit is produced within from the Spirit. They're not the fruit. And one last thing, and it takes us into the next verse, spiritual gifts are not ministries. Ministries, they're different. And this leads us to verse 5 because Paul talks about diversities now of ministries. There are varieties of gifts, diversity of gifts, but now there's diversities of ministries in verse 5. Look what he says. In fact, the New King James uses the word differences. There are differences of ministries, but the same spirit. Now that word differences, as I said earlier, is the same word, same Greek word, diversities. Here's the word ministries, though. What are we looking at? It's diakonia. It's the word deacon or to serve or a servant, right? That's where we get the office of deacon. Uh, a deacon is a servant. That's what a, that's what a deacon is. Um, and that's the word he uses here, which is so important because it, it tells us what the gift is meant for. It's a tool for ministry, right? They're not to be used for themselves, right? It's to be used for others. It's, it's a, a servant. But there are a variety, he says, of ministries. And that is so true. Someone with the gift of teaching may be especially gifted to teach children, right? That's a variety of ministry. It's a whole different ministry. There are people over there right now with our children because they're good at teaching children, right? Maybe you haven't seen about like, but uh, we've got some people who are even really, really good in the room with the, the next group, the Resolve, right? Isn't Stacy Newman? She's a good teacher. She's gifted in that area. That's a ministry that she has. It's a different ministry, right? Uh, so, so that's the idea here. You know, when, when I, coming from uh, Grace Chapel, is a bigger church we came from, uh, they, they made all kinds of ministries. You talk about varieties of ministries. We had a bunch of old ladies that would come in the midweek to fold Sunday morning bulletins. It was the bulletin folding ministry. But I can, can, can I tell you, that was such a blessing because guess who would be folding bulletins, right? I'd be sitting there going, I should be studying, right? But we folding bulletins because they make like a thousand bulletins and folding. They would come. That was a gift of helps. They're helping the pastoral staff. We want to come and help. We had people who would come in in the midweek and clean the kitchen. People who would come and meet us backstage to help with baptisms. They had towels and they would do all that stuff. And they would take the towels home and wash them and bring them back clean, right? It was amazing. We had small group leaders and ushers that would usher people to their seats and greeters and even people at a welcome booth, right? We have those same kind of things happening here, right? You just look around. There's a variety of ministries, and that's what Paul is saying. And the key is that they're for serving, to serve people. Look at all those things I talked about. They serve others, don't they? And doesn't that make sense? Because isn't that what Jesus came to do, to serve? I'm thinking of Mark 10, 45, for even if the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's our example. He came to serve. 
if anyone came to be served, it would be Jesus. It would be okay. Or if he came to be served, I would gladly serve Jesus. Would you? But guess what? He didn't come to do that. He came to serve. It's incredible. So he came to minister to others, and his spirit, his spirit gives his people gifts to do the same thing. That's what's incredible. 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That's important. Minister it to one another. It's important to understand that gifts are not given for self-edification. We must use our gifts in service to others for their edification, which really brings us to the point of what gifts are. We kind of been talking about what gifts are not, um, but really what they they are. Here's a great definition. I actually wrote it down for you that I found for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They are extraordinary endowments bestowed by the Holy Spirit sovereignly and undeservedly on believers as instruments for Christian service and church edification. That's a great definition, right? Just covers it all. It's something that comes to us only by, by the Holy Spirit. It's a supernatural, extraordinary thing. It doesn't come by any natural means at all. And and it doesn't come because you deserve it, right? He just, the Holy Spirit knows. He says, that person's going to be this, and I'm going to give them the, the power to do it. And now we're instruments for service and for church edification. I love it. That's a lengthy definition. You could just say it's a gift. A gift is a spirit-given ability for Christian service, right? But he, he was just trying to cover uh, everything there. You can keep that slide up if anyone's copying that. So we're going to look at uh, some examples of gifts in a couple weeks. We're not quite, quite there yet, but for now, we're just trying to understand what the gifts are, okay? So we've seen that, that their nature is that they're spiritual. They're not natural abilities. They're spiritual abilities. Their purpose is for service, and their source is the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come from us. In fact, Paul says the diversity of ministries, notice that it comes from the same Lord. And, and verse 4, the diversity of gifts comes from the same Spirit. You see that? So they come from the same spirit and the same Lord. Hang on to that because we're going to look at that in the next verse as well. But look at verse 6. Now we see another diversity. It's diversity of activities. Verse 6. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Now this is a very interesting word, activities, because it's only used two times in the entire New Testament. It's energema. looks like energy, doesn't it? Energema. And it means effect operation or working it's used right here like we read in verse 6 but it's also used right again in this chapter in verse 10 in fact look at it in verse 10 it's it's translated working in my bible to another the working of miracles there it is again all right the activity of miracles that's the idea it's 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 working it's 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 what is worked out or energized that's the idea there and it focuses on its its mode of working and the effects of service so just as gifts are given you know, supernaturally, they're given to you supernaturally, they're energized supernaturally. Did you know that? That you, you can't really exercise that gift in your own power. You might be able to fake it to the point where people can't tell the difference, but you know who does tell the difference? You. I know. I know when I'm not really teaching or leading in a way that's completely by the Spirit. I know. I would know the difference. Maybe you wouldn't. You would know it for your gift as well. Like that, I was still in the flesh there, right? You have the gifts of helps, right? But you reluctantly in your heart go, I really don't want to go do this. And you go help. On the outside, you may look like the cheeriest person in the world. But guess who knew that you weren't operating in the, uh, by, the, by the Spirit, but on the flesh? You did. And the Lord, right? 
How can we ensure that it's the Spirit that is energizing us, not our own flesh? Two things. We must walk in the Spirit, and we must be filled with the Spirit. Those are so important. Let me just cover this real quick. Walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, Mark, you were just talking about this verse yesterday, weren't you? Uh, I had already had it here, too, so we're like on the same mind here, right? If you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, but the, the converse is also true, right? But if you're not walking in the Spirit, you will. You will fulfill the lust of the flesh. And this is the idea in that, in that chapter, Paul is saying the two are contrary. They battle one another. You can't, you can't have uh, both. It's either the Spirit or it's the flesh. And in that chapter, he goes on to give evidence of what the works of the flesh are. That's quite a list, right? Oh, the works of the flesh are idolatry and sorcery, but even hatred, even contentions, even, even jealousies or selfish ambitions. Those are, those are evidences of the flesh, right? And obviously, they're the serious ones like envy and murder and drunkenness too. But all those things go, nope, you're not in the spirit, you're in the flesh. But then he goes on to list at the end of that chapter, the fruit of the spirit, which I mentioned earlier, love, joy, peace. So he, he's saying, listen, these are evident of the flesh. These are evident of the spirit. Which one were you in when you did that? Oh, yeah, now I see. And then there's filling with the spirit. Filling with the spirit, Ephesians 5, 18 to 20, 21. I think I got just two verses on this slide here, but it says, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. You just read that list and see, yeah, you couldn't do any of that unless you were filled with the Spirit. To speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, to have that kind of spiritual mindset and to submit to one another in the fear of God, you have to be filled with the Spirit. And, you know, I think this is a so important. Everyone needs to pray to be filled with the Spirit every single day. You should wake up and say, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Because, because guess what? We don't stay filled with the Spirit. Remember the slide we saw earlier? Okay, I have the same slide, but I've added something. You see way over here, there's filling. Fill with the Spirit. Now, that has a line too, but it's a dotted line. And do you see the blue arrows there? They cross back and forth. You never cross that first line again. When you are saved and you cross in and you have regeneration, you never go back because of assurance. This line with filling, we go back and forth all the time. There are days you're filled with the Spirit, and even in the middle of the day, you're back in the flesh. Filled with the Spirit, back in the flesh. Filled with the Spirit, you get it? Which is why he says, walk in the Spirit. We've got to live by the Spirit. We, we don't always do that. We don't stay in the Spirit. That is a line we cross constantly. And that takes a lot of, a lot of work, doesn't it? It means I've got to be constantly checking my attitude and saying, oh, am I back in the flesh? I am. Okay, I've got to get back in the spirit, which means I've got to think supernaturally again. I've got to think in the spirit. I can't allow my flesh to dictate or my feelings to dictate things. It's the spirit that does that. So that's the, the mode of how he, he's doing this, but there's effects of service that are different. There's no gift that's exactly like another, and some gifts can be used in, in countless ways, right? Countless ways, and they can produce all kinds of uh, results, all kinds of results. This is the idea. There's such great diversity in the ministry. But notice what he says here in verse 6 again. He says, but it's the same God who works all in all. Ultimately, it's God who energizes us, and he uses us to achieve his purposes. And I really love that he says that's the same spirit, the same Lord, and the same God, right? 
Paul is implying that, that while there is a variety of gifts and there is a variety of service and even a variety of results, they all come from one central control place, right? It's a heavenly one. It's the same spirit, the same Lord, the same God. And that brings us to verse 7, the common source and purpose. And we'll wrap it up with this. Look at verse 7. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. I love this. The manifestation of the spirit. Manif- manifestation just means to make known, to make evident, okay? Manifestation of the Spirit is simply reemphasizing what Paul's been saying, right, in these verses, right? The gifts are manifestations of the divine trinity. It's evidence that the Spirit is actually being uh, used, that the Spirit is, is being glorified, and it puts him on display. And he says they're for the profit of all, for the profit of all. And that just means for the common good. We've read earlier that's for the edifying of the body of Christ, right? That's for the profit of, of all. And that's so true. You know, when a Christian ministers to others, it, like in the gift of helps, um, you know, he's not only serving that person, but also encourages that person to be helpful themselves, right? That's how it edifies us. You see people serving the body, you're like, oh, man, I really, I really could do that too. It's so important. And I think when a church is faithfully using its gifts to serve and to edify one another, that's when we're putting the Holy Spirit on display. That is the, that's a true manifestation of the Spirit. But let me just ask you, if you're, you want to answer honestly, what are the kinds of, of Holy Spirit displays the world is used to seeing? I mean, you can go on YouTube right now and you can look up manifestations of the Holy Spirit. You'll see people barking in the Spirit, drunk in the Spirit, babbling in, unintelligibly in the Spirit, slain in the Spirit. You see all these crazy... Now, listen, I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not picking. I'm just trying to say, what do you think when you see that? Do you say, what a glorious manifestation of the Spirit? Or do you see... Those people are crazy. That's honestly what you think. And Paul is going to say the same thing in this passage eventually. He's going to say, people are going to think you're crazy. That is not the manifestation of the Spirit. Paul has just said what the manifestation of the Spirit. You put him on display when you are faithfully using your gifts to serve one another. That is spirit manifestation. And that is a marvelous display of the power of of Christ and what what he does. I think, you know, as we continue this study... A church who faithfully uses the gifts of the Spirit in, in a sacrificial service to others experiences great love, right? Great joy, unity, and you display the power of the triune God who has the power to transform lives. That's what the world wants to see. They don't need to see craziness. They need to see people radically loving and serving one another. In this world, do we not need that? That's what we need. And we'll study more of this in a couple of weeks. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word to us today. Your word is powerful. It's living. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, we recognize, Lord, the importance of gifts. Uh, and, and Lord, really, I think there's so much confusion and abuse of gifts today that don't truly manifest your power. Don't put you on display. Don't make your name great. And don't put a good name for the church. But Lord, uh, I think a church that faithfully, lovingly serves sacrificially one another, we, we, magnify the triune God of the universe, the God who saved us. Oh, Lord, we just love you. We thank you for your word. It's so, it's so relevant for us today. It's so important. Everything we've talked about today, even going back to last week and looking at the tests, Lord, I just pray that these things would be cemented in the minds of your people, Lord. They'd be faithful to recognize the gifts that they have and be willing and ready to, to serve their brothers and sisters in Christ for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.